Today's program was brought to you by 100 Bogart Street, the brand new co-working space in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Learn more at 100bogart.com. My name is Hannah Forden. I'm the membership coordinator at Heritage Radio Network, but even before I joined the team, I loved listening to HRN during my subway commute. It made the time go quickly and left me feeling inspired for the day ahead. HRN listeners tune in from all over the world, but there are a few traits that we all have in common, no matter where we listen from. A curious palate, the fierceness to make a difference, and a hunger for lifelong learning about the culinary world. As you know, Heritage Radio Network is a listener-supported nonprofit. To deliver the most ambitious, entertaining, and of-the-moment stories in 2018, we need your help. We need to raise $150,000 by December 31st to accomplish these goals and to keep your favorite shows on the air. Together, we can make this HRN's most exciting, impactful, and delicious year yet. No matter how much you choose to give, you'll feel awesome next time you tune in, knowing that we wouldn't be here without you. Become a member by donating today. Join us at heritageradionetwork.org donate, and you'll immediately start enjoying benefits such as VIP invitations to HRN events, where you will mix and mingle with your favorite hosts. Plus, we have great member swag. Show off your HRN pride with a t-shirt or keep your hands safe in the kitchen with an HRN potholder. Memberships also make a perfect holiday gift for all the foodies in your life. This year, why not give the gift of food radio? You'll hear your generosity in action for the year to come. Help keep our lights on and our mics hot by pledging your support today at heritageradionetwork.org donate. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Fun Men About, about it. it on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Rachel Jacobs. I'm Chris Kuzmi. And we are your weekly co-hosts through this uh, journey of all things fermented. Archived on Stitcher, iTunes, and right here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Uh, Mary could not join us today. She's feeling under the weather and is also bombarded with other daily work stuff. We are volunteers doing this uh, this weekly journey and having our fun. And I say that only to say that to keep us on the air, I want to reiterate that uh, you can donate and hit the beating heart at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Your, uh, your support is appreciated uh, by all of the members of Heritage Radio Network. Thank you for your years of continuous support, and you're the best. If you're in New York City, we have a bunch of things happening, and we are excited to announce them now. Oh, yeah. ton of things happening. <laughs> Actually, if you're in town tonight, uh, right after our show at about 8 p.m., uh, I think you can show up whenever, though. Uh, there is a vaguely honey-themed storytelling show happening at um, Honey's Brooklyn, which is uh, New York's only mead bar that we have right now. Uh, that's at 93 Scott Avenue in Brooklyn. Uh, so it's going to be <clears throat> a uh, it's something about sweetheart and honey and bees. So it sounds like it's going to be a great time. So that's at 8 p.m. tonight. Uh, and hopefully we'll be there. So Hopefully we will. Well, yes. 
Rachel Somebody will be will there. Over. And, and our guests will hopefully be there. Uh, I'll be defending a, a bowling league championship that I have to on behalf of Fifth Hammer. We'll talk about that another time. Yes. Uh, undefeated. Undefeated over there. Uh, anyway, what other things happening on? this weekend. Permit Ferment. Zachary Schulman is, has a, has his annual event, the Fermentation Potluck. Uh, this year is at a different place, that Mayday Space, which is uh, 176 St. Nicholas Avenue, the third floor. Um, it's in here in Brooklyn. Uh, Saturday the 18th, 1 to 5 p.m. Oh, 1 to 5 p.m. Awesome. Is that true? Did you say 1 to 4? I thought it was 1 to 4. <laughs> it's 1 to 4 p.m. My, my timing is wrong. It's probably for as long as the uh, ferment potlucks last. True that. As true much that. miso as can go around. True that. Other fun stuff happening right now. It, registration is open for uh, Homebrew Alley uh, 12, I believe it is, uh, which is our annual competition put on by the New York City Homebrewers Guild. We're hosting it at Fifth Hammer Brewing Company, but uh, you can go to homebrewalley.com uh, or I believe .org, no .com, to register your your entries and also to sign up to judge and steward. Um, we can use your assistance to organize this competition, which generally hosts approximately 800 entries from all around the country. It's an AHA-sanctioned and BJCP-sanctioned competition. Uh, speaking of AHA and BJCP, John Palmer is coming back to town, and I'm really, really excited what? that he is. He wrote, uh, that he's the author of How to Brew, uh, which we just cannot endorse enough. He also wrote the book Water. He's doing a quick tour. He's going to start at Bitter and Esther's and get around town, uh, including... Again, Fifth Hammer, uh, on on Friday, December eighth, seven p.m. The Homebrew Club Brewmanaries will co-host with me. But before that, he'll be at the Homebrew Emporium up in Westchester on December seventh, and on December sixth, he'll be joining the Bottle Swap at Bitter and Esther's, which will be really fun. And finally, to close that off, off on Saturday, December 9th, he'll be out in Long Island at Homebrew and Hand, hand Grenades. Check it out on the AHA website or at bitterandesters.com. Mm-hmm. And um. <clears throat> If you're not busy tomorrow night, uh, if you haven't had too many crazy plans, there is a shochu chase tasting down at Japan Society in the city by the UN. Uh, so this is hosted by Stephen Lyman, who is on an episode that we had, uh, 198 of uh, Shochu Want to Know About Shochu. <laughs> yes. Stephen Lyman will shochu. Oh, my God, I can't. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. So, yeah, you guys should, have, uh, should check that out. It's on Facebook. It's uh, called Shochu, Japan's Best Kept Secret Talk and Tasting. So that's at 630 tomorrow at Japan Society. So you can check out more information at japansociety.org. Secret talk and tasting. That's right. I just talk launched, about it. I just launched a beer called Le Secret Secret. <laughs> What's in that beer? Uh, but that was, uh, it doesn't matter, that one. Uh, it's in, <laughs> well, it's lemon and, and pink peppercorns, but really it doesn't matter. It's the second latest beer that I have on. Right before that, I have uh, my latest beer called Buzz Bombus, which is a honey, honey brown ale uh, that I'm, I've used. New York State honey, New York State malt, um, and New York State hops, and it kind of is a celebration of flavors of New York, and I'm really happy to have put this honey in there. It's a sessionable 4.2 brown ale. I bring all this up to excitedly, not just to boast some more about myself and the, this, these beers I'm making, but because today's show is all about honey, and we have our guests from the National Honey Board, or representing the National Honey Board, uh, Keith Says and Jonathan Galbraith. Welcome to the show. Hello. 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 Welcome so, to New York, guys. Thanks Thank for having you. us. Yeah. 
we are really, really excited that you're here. Uh, you hosted Mary and I uh, for a series of things that you're doing. But first, let's talk about, well, we'll talk about the series of what those are and those educational things you're doing. Um, but how did you come to get involved with the National Honey Board? Uh, where did your love of honey start? Also, what is the National Honey Board? <laughs> well, let's start with that. Yeah. Let's start with that. Yeah, the National Honey Board is a organization that promotes and markets the entire honey industry. So everybody from your larger commercial beekeepers, producers, to your smaller local beekeepers. Our whole goal is to sort of get people thinking about honey, to understand the story of the honey, uh, from bee to the food or to the bottle, whatever you're doing. And uh, we personally, Jonathan and I, work on the food ingredient side. So we work with brewers, bakers, uh, people who are making kind of packaged goods and trying to talk to them about using honey in there, which is such a great all-natural sweetener. Mm -hmm. You talk about using honey, but uh, also the, the backgrounds of the bees and, and how they, they are commercially and in society and how it's all coming together. You know everything about honey from bee to bee. From B to B. From B to B, yes. How, how many? So you know all about bees. How many words are there in the English language that start with B? Oh goodness! I, I know there's 300 <laughs> varietals of honey. I don't, I don't know. Over a billion, <laughs> or maybe a bazillion. Yeah. Yeah, right. a bazillion. No, no one knows what that is. <laughs> so anyway, how did you guys become involved in the National Honey Board? Well, my background originally is in the baking industry, so uh, you know I had sort of a bit of exposure to it then. And then about six years ago, uh, both Jonathan and I started working with them to sort of get into uh, the baking industry because honey and baking is a natural fit. And uh, so we started working with them. And through that, we've sort of developed in the last six years to look at all the different food and beverage categories that honey goes in. And that's brought us to brewing, cereal, distilled spirits, all these fun things uh, that we basically spend our year doing is going around talking to brewers, bakers, all about honey and really talking about the story about honey gets from the flower to the hive and then into your daily life. How does that happen? Oh, goodness. That's an <laughs> open-ended <laughs> question. Let's, let's start with like the Giant common, common honey, I guess. Giant there's a lot of different kinds of honey. Yeah, there's there's 300 honeys, and they all have a different color, different flavor, different viscosity, and it's solely dependent on where the bees go to forage for their nectar. So people you know, sometimes see honey and they think, oh, that's been flavored with something, and, and it really hasn't. 100% pure honey is just dependent on where the bees go. So if you put bees next to a you know a citrus grove you're going to get orange blossom honey if you put bees next to a field of buckwheat you're going to get buckwheat honey and how that whole chain happens is is, is pretty magical uh obviously the flowers aren't carrying honey in them or we would just figure out a machine to harvest those flowers uh but what it is is it's nectar and nectar is super complex carbohydrates uh, about 80 percent liquid Bees get it, and then through a pretty complicated process, get it back to their hive uh, and basically evaporate the water, introduce a bunch of enzymes to it till it eventually turns into honey, which is what we know. What are the three largest sectors of, of uh, honey users uh, in, in production? In, 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 in the, the profession, industry. it's non-alcoholic beverages is number one. So non-alcoholic. Non-alcoholic. So you're talking ready-to-drink uh, teas, 
you know, look at your any kind of convenience store. You now have all these functional waters. We tasted today a aloe water, so aloe vera aloe. water with. <laughs> it's so gross. It's so gross. Sorry, it's really thick and gross. Come on. It's, it's definitely pulpy. <laughs> but that's why you add honey in it because honey brings that familiarity. Uh, you know, so we've had also we had a broth. Uh, hmm. Two weeks ago, uh, we were at a hunt, one of our honey summits, and we had a uh, bone broth with honey in it. So and a ginger broth and a ginger broth. Yeah. So not alcoholic beverages is number one. Number two is the beer industry, uh, in terms of who buys it, and then number three is the cereal industry, cereal and bread. So uh, yeah, it's it's pretty much used everywhere, and the demand is really increasing. Just you know, because people want more all natural foods, people want to know the story behind where they're getting their foods, and you know, there's no greater story we feel than than honey. Yeah, is this uh, is this common use? Uh, are those three sectors growing and providing more of a demand for for honey in America? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, the demand is 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 greater than it's than it's ever been before, just because how the food and beverage industry is moving where there's more ingredient transparency, uh, more things like that. The great thing about honey is you can tell that story. You know, uh, the, the beer you were talking about, the, the Buzz Bombas, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you, you look at your menu and you've got where you bought the honey from. Uh, and that sort of expressing that, that terroir of I'm buying something that, you know, is meaningful not only to where I'm located but to those around me. Uh, that's that's something that you can you can do with honey. You know, you've got the story of not only the bees, but then also the beekeeper who's the farmer who, you know, takes care of those bees and, and brings that honey to you. So it's it's great stuff all around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so when did when, when did uh, honey start becoming more of a like common ingredient in beer? Uh, in beer, well, we started going to, I guess, Craft Brewers Conference about. Four years ago, which is the big industry industry show, uh, trade show, and probably about 20% of the brewers uh, that we met had brewed with honey. Then, you know, we went back the next year, and it was about 40%, and every year we've gone back, it's almost turned into 100%. So, yeah, it's just something that's continued to grow. Has that... Uh does that stat ring true for four years ago as far as like uh, first to, to non-alcoholic, then beer, then cereal? Or did, was cereal in number two place for a moment? No, cereal was always way higher really? and bakery was always way higher. It's only been recent uh, because, you know, if you think of your non-alcoholic beverages, your sodas, things like that, people had no problem what was in them. Uh, you know, all the other sweeteners out there, uh, but people are much more cognizant of what they're consuming. So that those sectors have grown. And I think beer has grown just with the whole craft movement of experimentation you know people think that you add honey to a beer that it's a sweet beer but that's that's not the case at all right there's aromatics uh you can dry out a beer with honey you can add uh, secondary bottle conditioning all these different things that honey can do in beer and i think brewers are finally sort of not only understanding it but embrace that you know, I can express my, you know, local terroir of my region, but then I can also do some things beyond just adding sweetness, which is really not really the one thing you want. You want more sort of depth of flavor in your beer, not necessarily sweetness. And I, and I think for craft brewers, too, um, there's 300 varietals of honey within the United States. A lot of people just put that I have a honey wheat beer. So if you can use words like alfalfa 
or meadow foam or orange blossom, which is really easy to get. Um, or what was another one we had today? Or Tupelo honey. So mm-hmm. if you can use that on your label, I know for, I'm from Denver. The weirder the label is, the, <laughs> the more <laughs> the, the likelihood that I'm going to buy it or whatever. So to be able to say it's it's meadow foam stout or something like that, right. as opposed to just like honey wheat. You know, I think it's a great marketing tool. It's a great marketing tool, yeah. but, but it, and it does represent, hopefully, uh, flavors and complexity that are going into it. Definitely. Yeah, and especially where you come from, too. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. absolutely. We're going to take a really quick break and talk about some of the initiatives uh, that you've taken to educate uh, more producers uh, after we take a break on this episode of Foment About It. Foment About It. One Hundred Bogart Street is finally open and ready for Bushwick. One Hundred Bogart is a brand new, state-of-the-art co-working space that provides turnkey workspaces, including open layout desks, meeting spaces, and furnished private offices. Members have access to top-notch amenities such as custom furniture, high-speed internet, spacious kitchenettes with coffee and tea, printers, scanners, and much more. Alongside their professional work environment. 100 Bogart also provides exclusive educational programming for any curious entrepreneur. Heritage Radio Network has made their new office home at 100 Bogart and will host many events there in the future. For more information about their co-working space, visit 100bogart.com and become a member to network, create, and educate. Welcome back to Foment About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are here in the studio with Jonathan Galbraith and, and Keith Syed says, I keep wanting to say size. I'm sorry. It is size. It is size. It is size. It is oh, size. I keep wanting to say says. And what, I, what I said. It, it reads wrong. like says. So there we go. I, I don't blame you for that. Okay. Uh, again, I'd be remiss not to thank you for, uh, for bringing Mary and I out to the Honey Beer Summit in St. Louis. It was packed full of a bunch of seminars and with, with peers that all bring honey and, and a lot of great ideas were shared and much was learned on our behalf. Um, tell us a little bit about that program from, from your standpoint and how it began and what, what it is. Definitely, yeah. Uh, so we do a series of Honey Summits. Uh, we did, I believe, seven this year, uh, just our latest two weeks ago for uh, Distilled uh, Spirit Makers. But what it basically is, it's, it's a two-day immersive session into sort of a honey and how it can be used in an ingredient. And it started eight years ago with baking industry, where we brought in the best uh, bakers, bread bakers, and pastry chefs into Providence, Rhode Island, and gave them a kind of two-day immersive session. And then as more honey started being used in beer we brought it into the beer industry so it was our sixth one in st louis that you attended and basically the whole thought process behind it is you know food is an inspiring thing beer is an inspiring thing and we know honey's an inspiring ingredient so if we get 25 of the you know great craft brewers from all over the country into one room together and we bring up the topic of honey talk about honey that they'll naturally collaborate and create, you know, great made with honey beers. Mm-hmm. And a lot was taken home from all of us with that. I mean, it, uh, the t- going back to what we were talking at the beginning of the, or at the end of the first segment, um, wanting to get these nuances from the honey is, is a, 
is, is really important to us and has, has been relatively tricky. A lot of people would use honey too early in the process and would be preserving a lot of these flavor and aromas. So as a quick pro quo, what are some don'ts of, of brewing with honey if you want to preserve some of these flavors? Yeah, it's, or, a, it's, it's, it's all sort of, you know, it's kind of like real estate. It's location, 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 right. which is what we tell people. Where are you at it the earlier in the process of brewing the less flavor you're going to get from the honey. So if you're dumping it in the boil at the beginning of the boil, you're going to, it's 95% fermentable. So you're going to get 5%. I've been to brewers that said that 5% provides something that no other ingredient can, but that's, that's a lot of fermentables (laughs) not being used in a product. Uh, So, you know, if you do it at the very end of boil, what you're going to get is a lot of aromatics. So you're not going to get necessarily a residual sweetness, but you'll get those aromatics, which uh, I feel is what a lot of brewers want. They want mm-hmm. you to smell that honey, but they don't necessarily want you to taste it. Uh, if you add it later during fermentation or even bottle conditioning, basically the later you add it, the more honey flavor you're going to get, the more residual sweetness it's going to pull through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in the beer that I that you guys tasted today, the Buzz Bombus, I put it in four, five days into fermentation. Okay. Uh, so it was like just after high krausen. And I feel like, uh, but I did dry hop it a lot with New York State stuff, but that, but it danced with the wildflower honey, I think, and to give this ar- ar- aromatic kind of like smelling the, the fields of New, upstate New York yeah, and that's, kind of thing that was an interesting. That's really the great thing about honey is it's, you know, it's, it's a strong flavor. Yes, it's a strong sweetness, but... It really does so well playing with other flavors. So a lot of chefs use it. It's got something in it called gluconic acid that is uh, really plays well with uh, spices like rosemary, herbs, you know, anything like that. So honey is a great sort of melder of flavors. It pulls everything in and doesn't sort of overshine things. So it's it's a great it's a great flavor to use not only in in beer but really in anything to kind of pull everything together into one. In chemical compounds, uh, does all honey have generally have the same amount of gluconic acid? Uh, and are there certain honeys that would, taking that pairing or that example with rosemary, are there certain honeys that would do better because of that level of gluconic acid? No, they're all they're all pretty similar. It's it's funny that you get you know you three hundred varietals of honey here in the United States, all with completely different flavor profiles. I mean, you've you've tasted quite yeah. a few at, at yeah. our events. Uh, we had you know today we were at a meeting and. What did they say? Barnyard? It smelled like... No, horse blanket. Horse yeah. blanket. Horse blanket. <laughs> horse blanket. So you get... You got to <laughs> <laughs> keep your horses warm. Exactly. Everybody knows that. So you get you get everything from, from horse blanket to super frag- fragrant and floral. And, you know, all those things, uh, despite the, you know, different flavors, their sweetness level, the things like gluconic acid are relatively similar and all. It's just that... You know those that that smell, that aroma, that flavor sort of tricks our mind into thinking that this is really sweet or this isn't as sweet. But if you look at the sweetness, which you know by bricks, most honeys are completely similar. So it's a really interesting ingredient. And that comes out to the the moisture content in each honeycomb, right? Yep, mm-hmm. which is about seventeen percent. So it's really interesting with with bees. Whenever the you know the nectar comes into the hive, uh, so you've got your hive. It's at about 80% moisture, so nothing that we would recommend or recognize as honey whatsoever. Right. And it's full of sort of complex carbohydrates. And by the bees fanning that, uh, they'll drop it down from 80% liquid to 17% honey, uh, 17% liquid. And then once they do that, they seal it, and then that's what we know as honey. Once, they, once the bees put their stamp of approval on it, which is sealing it, that's when we know, you know we've got honey. 
We've spoken a little bit uh, about the concern for resident microflora and sanit and uh, pasteurizing honey uh, over over other like in cereal when people are making cereal. How are, how are people using honey a lot in making in the cereal industry? Uh, it's, it's basically you know to kind of sweeten or to provide that flavor. So uh, they're just tossing their oats in it if it's something like Honey Nut Cheerios, right. or uh, it's it works great as a uh, binder which is what we're seeing is now these more granola-type cereals are coming onto market. Uh, and then the bars, uh, honey not only is a great flavor and sweetener, but it keeps all those things and give you those clusters that you love. Now, I don't know anything about uh, what the kind of regulations go on in that in that thing, but are, are people required to go through a pasteurization process uh, when using honey in those in those uh, in food production no uh honey's naturally super acidic uh so it's 3.9 ph uh so there's organisms in it bacteria in it but they're all dormant because it right. is such an acidic product uh so it's kind of up to the manufacturer if you're adding it to the cold side meaning packaged beverages that are non-alcoholic generally they'll do some apply some sort of heat treatment to it but for baking, cereal, things like that, it's going through the oven anyway, so they don't have to kind of do anything like mm-hmm. that with it. What about spirits? What's happening in the spirit world? <laughs> spirit world is, is one of the most exciting. We just got back. <laughs> yes. Let me tune in. <laughs> <laughs> we just got back from, uh, we had our first Honey Spirit Summit. So we've done eight Honey Beer Summits, five or six Honey, or eight honey baking summits five or six honey beer summits and then we just did our first honey spirit summit in nashville yeah mm-hmm. so it's just, yeah, of course you see a ton of back flavoring whiskey um but so many after dinner cocktails that you're seeing uh pear ciders uh amaretto um what was the thing that we oh wal uh the walnut liqueur the walnut liqueur oh, yeah. off the hook yeah. off the hook yeah um, but yeah, there's a, there's a lot of like really small um, small batch stuff or whatever that's great for mixologists that we're seeing mm-hmm. um, on a whole scale level. Keith could probably probably speak to that more. Yeah, it's, it's it's sort of what we saw in the craft beer industry five years ago with going to Craft Brewers Conference. We're starting to see it in the spirits industry. We were out in Portland last week at a spirits conference, and there's just that thirst of knowledge. There's 20 percent of the market using honey. And we're hopeful it's going to be like beer where, you know, four four years down the road, that's going to be 80 to 90%. But there's a couple out there that are actually distilling from honey. Mm-hmm. So they're basically making a mead and then distilling that right. mead to create a uh, spirit. There's a, there's a great one up in v- Vermont, Caledonia Spirits, through their Bar Hill products. And they dil- distill completely from honey which gives you a pretty unbelievable uh, flavor profile of a gin, vodka, rum, something like that. So some exciting things going on in that industry. It is exciting. I'm curious to see what happens. Yeah, and for meteries, it's, you know, the varietals of honey, the 300 varietals that are just available here in the United States, like that gives you so much of a flavor profile. Whereas like if you put it in at certain points in, in your brewing process or whatever, you may not get that, that character. Right. But for, you know, like mead makers or whatever, it's like, that's, that's it. That's, that is it. Yeah. That's it. That's all flavor. 
Uh, speaking of that and going back to, to brewing techniques, uh, we briefly spoke just before. We're drinking an Oxbow beer right now. Uh, you were talking about one of your favorite honey honey beers that, that Oxbow makes. And yes. How are they using the honey? Uh, they're, uh, they're, it's their Oxbow Catalyst, and they're using it in two different spots, uh, in, in fermentation, and then they're adding it to the barrels. It's a barrel-aged beer to give a secondary fermentation. And that's what really excites, I guess, Jonathan and I so much about the beer industry as you know, five years ago, your honey beers were considered your your traditional honey wheats. You mm-hmm. know, that's what people thought a honey beer was. And part of our, you know, job, what we do is not only helping brewers understand that there's a whole other world out there beyond just a traditional honey wheat, but also consumers that honey beer doesn't mean sweet beer. Uh, we were at Cascade Barrel House in Portland, and they had three sours on tap that were using honey. Uh, to sort of mellow those flavors. So, uh, you know, from IPAs, uh, you know, Bell's Brewery's annual Hop Slam, which is a big beer. It's brewed with honey every year, you know, to kind of mellow out a little bit and bring all those floral notes together. So just sort of how you, how brewers are using honey now is super exciting. The mead market in the States is not very big yet. Not yet. And, and it's diverse in, in, uh, in, in flavors and, uh, dare I say, quality or, or like expertise <laughs> in, in, uh, in the mead making. And so I feel like it's kind of a newish market. But um, Well, at least on the East Coast it is. Yeah. I'm very excited like, about it. I love, I love meads, yep. but there's a time and place for them. Like, yeah, like everything. I only have breakfast mm-hmm. at breakfast time. You know? But I love breakfast, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? So <laughs> Mead for breakfast is mead great. Mead for breakfast sounds <laughs> amazing. That's right. A lot of people only have mead with swords. <laughs> yeah, right. Right, right. right. But that's, that's the problem right there is, you know, that, that perception of meads is renaissance. A medieval drink. Yeah. Exactly. I'm, I'm drinking a grog. You know, I'm, I'm doing that kind of thing. It's, it's kind of people don't realize that they think that something distilled from honey is naturally going to be sweet. And there's definitely sweet meads, but just like wine, there's some super dry meads that you would never even be able to tell were anything but white wine. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. there are session meads. and, and uh, ex- ex- Exactly, which is, I think... And sparkling. Cost, yeah, sparkling, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, it's... I mean, in, in, in the beginning, that was really all that was drank. It's really the first alcoholic-type beverage uh, just because, you know, the... The lore is behind it all is that a bunch of hunters found a beehive that was tipped over that had water in it and it had fermented and they drank it and it it was mead. So uh, it's something that you can do in all sorts of different styles. But because of that, you know, I think it still has a general perception of people have one mead and they identify that as mead. Right. And they, Mm -hmm. you know. It's like somebody having a cascale that's poorly... Exactly. With, without a doubt. Exactly. And thinking mm-hmm. everything is cascade. Or if that. you gave somebody for their first beer ever a uh, super heavy stout or something like right. that, and they go, oh, I don't like beer. No, you don't maybe like stouts, but you right. like something else. You know, the sessionable meads, the meads that drink like wine that are 17, 18%. Uh, all those things, you know, are exciting about the industry. But it's a lot of consumers still don't know about that. Is there a, a long plan to... to uh, hold more summits uh, across the industry, including meat or, or things uh, of the like, or right now focusing on these, just one one at a time right now. Right now, no, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, we're pretty busy as is. I think uh, <laughs> we've been on the road nonstop since March, but, uh, you know, our real big focus is to look at the areas that, that are the most, not only potential for, for honey, uh, which really is brewing and baking. Uh, and, and why we love working in the, in the beer industry, not only because we, because we love the product, uh, but, 
you know, we can have somebody like you come to our event and then you can go brew brew a beer mm-hmm. with it relatively quickly. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's something that that can happen. And that's that's great because that's just kind of proof of concept that that these things work. Uh, whereas if it's a, you know, large Fortune 100 food company, that R&D cycle could be 18 months. Right. So uh, we're going to stick to sort of focusing on bakery, brewing, uh, those packaged beverages with sort of a whole sorts of different types of marketing campaigns and promotions. Speaking of campaigns and marketing, uh, I think that people don't understand what the rules are with being able to call something honey in the States. I guess that somebody got caught years ago for, or maybe it's rumor or whatever that for having honey that wasn't actually honey or Chinese produced honey supplemented mm-hmm. with yeah. sugar. Yeah. So what is honey by law in, in the States? If it says honey on the shelf, is it honey? What does it mean? If it, if it says honey, if it's called honey, it's 100% honey. Anytime you add anything to honey, it's, it's no longer honey. So, uh, as long as it says honey on it and you look at the ingredient listing on the back, there should be basically one ingredient. If there's honey. any more than one ingredient, <laughs> it's not then, then you're not having you're honey. You're not allowed yeah. to use that word. So exactly. There, so there, so are, is anybody allowed to import something that says honey on it, and is that allowed to be on a shelf? Not if it's in not. The United States? Yeah, not if it's not honey. No, if right. it's uh, if it's something that's cut with something or has something added to it. You see some sort of honeys out there that are infused with oils. But they can no longer be called 100% pure honey because that's been infused with like a lavender oil or things like that. Or hot honey's real popular now, where they blend honey with, you know, chili peppers, things like that. That's not tec- technically a honey anymore. That's more of a condiment. But if you call it hot honey, that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. But you, yeah, you still have to list the ingredient. All, all you should do is look on the back and make sure it's one ingredient, yeah. honey, and that's that's good. I think that's an important thing to talk about. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have something else that, that you had, um, had a question on your list? Yeah, so we, I, you know a lot about bees, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, so one of my favorite things to talk about is bees. But um, uh, so we've been here, you know, we hear a lot about uh, colony collapse and mm-hmm. all that. Is there anything that brewers in particular can, or distillers can do to help support bees? Yes, uh, use honey. Uh, <laughs> we did a campaign that Jonathan uh, did all the creative behind it for Honey Month, uh, which is every September. Uh, that was uh, Save Bees Drink Honey Beer or something like that. Where yeah. we partnered with very simple. Yeah. yeah, we partnered with a few breweries, and, and the thought process behind that is the more that people use honey, the more money that's going to go into researching honey. The National Honey Board has already committed a significant amount of money towards bee research. Large food companies are doing that. Uh, you know, you see uh, Cheerios did a campaign last year where they remove the honeybee from their box of Cheerios. And it was like, you know, we need to, we need to think about the bees and things like that. So I would say the, the biggest thing you can do is just use honey and then promote that you're using honey, promote where you're buying your honey from, promote why you're using honey. The more consumers are educated about the stories of bees and, and what a great ingredient is, you know, the more research that's going to go into it that we'll be able to sort of figure out and get bees back to the level they once were. So the long- mo- Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, the longer that we do this, the more I'm surprised by the attendance and how how many of them that brew beer actually have boxes on their on their property. And they're like, yeah, yeah. Well, we got oh, this. boxes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, supers. Um, yeah, how many, how many of those guys actually do produce their own honey and use as much as they can in their beer? That always blows me away or whatever. So I feel like 
those guys or whatever, whenever they're in that environment, especially with other, you know, brewers who hadn't even thought about that, it's a wonderful thing for them to, to hear or whatever that I, hey, yeah, I want to use honey. I don't necessarily want to, I want to be local, but I mean, that's hyper local. Can't get any more local than, than that. Than your roof. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we were out at uh, uh, Rogue Ales and Rogue Farm in Oregon uh, last year filming videos and they have... I guess 30 or 40 hives right on their property that are pollinating their pumpkins and their marion berries mm. and their things that go in spirits and then they're using that honey for their honey colch every year yeah. for the summer beer. So that's yeah. what I wanted to get to too. So the more we eat honey, the more bees we'll have and the more our other crops will be healthy and pollinated. Definitely, yeah. I mean, bees, they, they, they're responsible for 35% of the calorie of the American diet. So without, without those bees, we're not getting apples, avocados, uh, tomatoes, all those things re- rely on bees to pollinate. Keith, is there any like the, the Whole Foods um, yeah, they example did. that you show or whatever? Is there anywhere to show like on the internet where there there is that actual Whole Foods thing where it's like they removed a certain amount from the? Yeah, they ran a campaign where they said if the bees were gone, where would you know what would our grocery store look like? And uh, oh, there's wow. so oh, you I've can Google picture, it, and there's yeah. some pretty crazy pictures out there of what yeah. the what the produce aisle looks like, and it's pretty bare. Wow! 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 The, the fun story that I had no idea, but I know <laughs> it might on. be might be to our listeners, or maybe they're smarter than me or heard of it, but they actually take hives on trucks and drive oh, yeah. them around the country. They bring them around so that they have more, um, they have more of a variety of, of flowers and, and uh, plants that they can pollinate from. Yeah, and just to... Uh, back of a truck. Yeah, to, to pollinate. It's, it's become quite the... Especially the, in the city. We yeah. don't have a lot of flowers. <laughs> well, actually, bees in cities do well because there's so many different types of, of shrubs. So, you know, we're sitting here in, in New York City, and there's trees. There's people who have little garden boxes out. That's actually good. Uh, so what, what Chris was talking about was... Pollination has become such an important thing because how we plant here in America and mostly around the world is we find an area of the country where something grows really well and we plant a lot of crops there. So if you look at California, almonds have become a very big nut uh, to where pretty much most commercial, you know, most bees in the United States are going to end up in California in February, which they put them on tractor trailers, transport them out there. And whenever the almonds bloom right around Valentine's Day, all these bees just go crazy pollinating, gathering the nectar and all that. It's awesome. I mean, just the, it's tra- an the traveling thing. circus. It's a new circus. Hey. Barnum Bailey is a new... <laughs> with bees. <laughs> with bees, exactly. So, so don't be surprised if you ever see a, a, a semi going down the highway with, you know, Tons 200 hives on it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Guy swinging his arms at his yeah. <laughs> <laughs> driver swinging the horn. Actually, I've been, like, running... I live in Gowanus, um, which is an area in, in Brooklyn, um, and I've been running into a lot of honeybees lately. Just, like, yep. they'll be... No other like bugs around. It's like forty degrees outside, and like there'll be like a random honeybee. And yep. like there must be some boxes around. And some yeah, that's 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 good. Uh, you know because you know we need more bees. Bees used to be such a honeybees, especially used to be such a common thing. And then with colony collapse disorder and everything, you know people started commenting about how I don't see as many bees. So uh, we're finally back to the levels we we once were, basically due to some great beekeepers who are you know, investing their time in learning more about beekeeping and how to how to make their hives thrive. Uh, but yeah, we've we've definitely kind of 
coming back to the levels that we once were in terms of the amount of colonies here in the United States. Yeah, that's really great. Does the National Honey Board have a website? Are yep. there places? Oh, yes. Are there ways people can be educated and and participatory uh, at said website? Definitely go to honey.com. It's got if you're want to make things, it's got great recipes. If you're you know cooking things like that, and it also has great technical research on brewing everything like that, uh, and it's got a honey locator, so you can type in what type of honey you want where you're located, and it'll give you a list of people who can give you that kind of honey. That's cool. Definitely cool. So drink honey beer, eat, eat honey, honey. <laughs> save bees, save bees, <laughs> yeah. plant flowers, plant flowers. Plant, plant flowers is a big thing. Yes, the more flowers, the the better. Flower awesome. power, flower yes. power. Exactly. <laughs> well, this is awesome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's show. Thanks Keith for having and us. Jonathan, Thanks for having us. Really, really awesome. And uh, we'll see you next time you come to New York, or if not, uh, around the country, spreading the gospel. Spreading okay. that sweet, sweet honey gospel. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Fun about it. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.